want to welcome our people all around the world. Um, I like to say that. Hi, Jenny, because she sent me a sweet email and said that she's been enjoying the Romans study. She's in Thailand, so keep on listening, friend. Um, excited to be with you. Uh, a little bit sad, as I mentioned, to be leaving Romans 8, but that's where we're ending our time. If you have your study guide, I think it's page 61, has the passage that we'll be in. But I just want to just consider the beauty of Romans 8. I was reading one author said this, that the beauty of Romans 8 is that it begins with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. And then another author said, and in between it all is the, is the journey of no defeat because we have a God who is so for us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no separation from the love of Christ, right? There is no defeat when you walk in the Spirit. But some of us, some of us are stuck, and we need unsticking, right? For some of us, the Christian life has become a box that we check. It's a trying harder it's a continued striving. It's trying to be a better now Christian. Maybe you, before you came to Christ, you were just trying to be a better human, and now you're trying to be a better Christian. You're in a cycle of feeling that when it comes to your faith, you're not enough. There's guilt. There's, there's then maybe there is like some kind of worship experience or, or a retreat that you go on, and then you're kind of hyped up for another day and a half, and then uh, you're back to feeling like you're not enough, you don't do the Christian thing enough, and then you're trying harder, and you're praying, but you're distracted, and you're just kind of stuck in this cycle. But for others, it's maybe not that. Um, it's not a cycle of guilt and striving or anything like that. It's just that your Christian life is your Christian life. It's just, it is, right? It's fine. It's okay. You love Jesus. You know he loves you, right? But here's the thing. Your Christian life has lost all of the risk. My Christian life gets so safe, and we know this to be true of Aslan, right? Is he good? Yeah. But he's not safe. You see, to walk with God, to be invited into relationship with God is risky. And maybe for you there's been no exhilaration of stepping into God, stepping into the mystery of who he is. He is three and yet he is one. He is one and yet he is three. And this is all over. The Trinity is all over Romans chapter 8. He's a God who isn't just a mystery. He's a God who is knowable. He's present, he's alive, he's living. We didn't just get saved, you know, so that we don't have to go to hell and now we're just kind of biding our time. I fear 
fear that for so many in the church, that's what it is. We're just kind of biding our time. We're just kind of slugging it out. And we fail to step into the exhilarating mystery of God and the knowability of God and the mission of God. I don't know anyone who walks deeply and passionately and alive with Jesus who is not on mission with Jesus. And for some of us, when we hear the word mission, we immediately check out. That's what somebody else does. That's what people who go move to Africa do. Uh, that's what people who are all into sharing their faith, they do that, right? I, I'm just a, I'm a faithful giver. Friends, I love your checks, write them. <laughs> but they are so safe. They are so safe. And Jesus is inviting us into his mission, the mission of sharing our faith, the mission of making disciples. That invitation was to every follower of Christ. He's inviting us into contending for justice. Yes, he's given us all different passions and different giftings, and we're going to actually talk about that next session. But, but he wants all of us to be people who hate what he hates and love what he loves. He wants us to be engaged in loving the unlovable. He wants us to be engaged in mercy. He wants us to be engaged in his heart, right? And all of these things invite us into a risky faith, crawling in to the God who is three and yet one, needy of his power. You see, if you're not on mission with him, you don't need him. You're, you're doing stuff, I'm doing stuff all the time that does not require the Holy Spirit. I remember when I was on Young Life staff, an organization that reaches um, unchurched high school students, and a mentor of mine was speaking, and he said, he said, you can do Young Life, you can do ministry without the Holy Spirit. We can put on a production. I can write a sermon. I can do all of those things without the Holy Spirit. Because we're, we're gifted, talented, resourceful Westerners. But every day, I want to do something that, that requires me to go, oh God, I need you. I need you to show up in this meeting I need you to show up in my parenting. I need you to show up in my marriage. I need you to show up with this friendship. I need you to show up, God. So this is the invitation, I believe, of Romans 8. To crawl into, to live in, to experience, to hear, to live in the eternal, ongoing, never-ending conversation of the triune God. So I want to pray, and then we're going to dive into this passage. Father, I do pray, because I am fully aware that my words cannot turn a heart, that my words cannot change a mind, that my words cannot even transform myself. 
but your spirit can. So we say, come Holy Spirit. Turn a heart. Take a heart that is cold, indifferent, and warm it up and set it on fire to change its world. Take a heart that's filled with doubts, filled with anxiety, and bring peace and confidence. Take a mind that just is battling with lies and bring truth. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Illuminate the word of the Father through the Son to us this morning. Amen. Verse 26, it says, in the same way, and of course in the same way always looks back to what was before that, and right before that Paul had been saying that we live differently in our suffering because there is suffering in this world. There is suffering in, the, in between. We live differently because of our hope, the hope that we have in Christ. And so he said, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, just as that hope gets us through our suffering and causes us to live differently in the midst of suffering, the Spirit, God Himself. And if, if, I, if you all had highlighters, I'd want you to highlight, circle every time God shows up and He just showed up, the Spirit is God Himself. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, not that we don't know how to pray, we don't know what to pray, right? But the Spirit, God the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. God is praying for you. And he, God, God the Father who searches our heart, God the Father knows your heart. He, and the heart in the scripture, there's not a division. It's not like heart, mind, soul, spirit, all that stuff. I mean, we're kind of a complex dichotomy, which that's a theological thing, but it doesn't matter. What matters is when the scripture speaks of the heart, if you do a study on it, which I did one time because I was so confused by a, an author I was reading, um, the heart is all of you. The heart is all of you, right? God who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit. God is Searching our heart, knowing the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So the Spirit is praying in accordance to God's will as God searches your heart and knows the mind of the Spirit. How, how can I be just kind of blasé about God? Verse 28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, called, invited into salvation. 
invited into Christ for his purpose. And what's his purpose? For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. What is God's purpose for you? What is God's purpose for me? Conformity, to look like Jesus. And where are we conformed? Where are we transformed? We're transformed when we step into the mystery of God, to the knowability of God, to the mission of God. He transforms us that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Don't you love that from what we've talked about before? That we are adopted children of God, co-heirs with Christ, and Jesus is our older brother. Firstborn of many brothers and sisters, many who would be called in to relationship with him. For those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. That's a whole sermon in itself, that one verse. But then Paul begins to pose some questions and answers them. Question number one comes in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, if he has done all that has just been mentioned, he's called and he's predestined and he's justified and he's glorified. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against you? You can't even be against yourself. And you're trying to be. Because you're speaking all kinds of lies. You're resisting. So I'm resisting. Because it's safer to stay in, in my stuff. It's safer not to change. If God is for us, who can be against us? He, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And what will he give us? He will give us exactly what we need. He will help us in our weakness, and it will always be according to his will. Because here's the truth, friends. There are things you are asking for that God is going to say no to, and it's the greatest thing he's ever done for you. Right? But the Spirit is praying according to the will of God. And you can count on that prayer to be answered. Next question Paul poses, 30, verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? If you are in Christ, you are chosen. If you've heard the whisper of God, you're mine and I'm yours. You are chosen. Who will bring any charge against you? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns, right? Remember, he's tying all this together. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have an enemy, the devil, Satan, his name means accuser. He is trying to bring accusation against you, but he cannot. He cannot accuse you. He cannot condemn you. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, because that's what Paul knows. 
It's not just that Jesus lived, it's that he was resurrected. That's, where we, that's what we stand upon. Our Christian faith is not just some kind of warm fuzzy. It is grounded in, in an act in history, in time and space, where the God of the universe came, put on flesh, became man. Not just, he didn't just put on a, a, a man suit. He was mysteriously 100% God, 100% man, and he died a horrific death and was resurrected by who? By the power of the Spirit, and that same Spirit prays for you and lives in you. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God. Basically, he's in a power seat. (laughs) And guess what he's doing? He is also interceding for us. He is praying for us right? God himself is praying. The Holy Spirit is praying. Jesus is praying. Question three, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? How could you be separated from the love of Christ when the Spirit is praying for you and the Son is praying for you and he's sitting right at the right hand of the Father? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And here's the thing, friends, these are real things to his audience. You see, we read this and we kind of, it's kind of, you know, beautiful. I've got a hangnail. I don't know. I mean, we've got some troubles. Um, I couldn't find my fourth Bible in my house today. Um, I, I, I don't know if I'm journaling right. I mean, we've got all this. But he's writing to people who are truly facing persecution for their faith truly facing death. He quotes the next in verse 36. He says, as it is written, he's quoting Psalm 44, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And that psalm is a psalm that's kind of expressing the perplexity. Uh, The psalmist is expressing his perplexity in the face of horrific suffering. And Paul is citing this because he wants to note the reality of the suffering for the Christ follower. But he's also going to speak of the victory. Because the victory isn't not having suffering. The victory is in the suffering. Where was Christ's victory? On the cross. Stamped by the resurrection. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Can you imagine the audience he's writing to who are really literally dying for their faith, seeing family members dying for their faith, facing the sword literally? And he says, but you know what? We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, right there, boom, stop right there. What do we fear? We fear death. Some of us fear life. We're not sure. We don't want to die, but then we don't want to really live. Paul says neither of these things can separate us, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see him? Do you see your God? Romans 8. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
I cannot explain the Trinity. He is a mystery, but we have to crawl into him. We have to know that the God of the Bible is a God like no other God. One, yet three. Three, yet one. The word Trinity doesn't show up in the Bible, but the early church fathers came upon this doctrine. They wrote this doctrine of the Trinity because it was the only logical conclusion to this mysterious God. And I want to invite us into that God today. I think it's what Paul is doing. I've always thought of Romans 8 as the passage of the Holy Spirit, which it is. But the more I've spent time in it, I've seen it as the passage of the triune God. A God who is the Holy Spirit and is the Son and is the Father and yet is one. And we have a God, the Holy Spirit, who helps us in our weaknesses. Are you daily aware, moment by moment? That word for help right there, it's a, um, and I, I, I took Greek, I deserved an F, but I got a C because grace, but, um, but that word, but I can read commentaries like you guys can, um, and the word, <laughs> the word for help there is actually, it's like um, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, it's this really long Greek word because it's like three Greek words all put together. And it basically is similar to the meaning when, when the Holy Spirit is referred to by Jesus as the advocate. He is one who comes, all the words say this, one who comes alongside, is with, takes hold of, removes, bears the burden this is who the Holy Spirit is to us. He comes and he is with us and he bears the burden and he takes hold of and he removes and he intercedes, he prays for us. He knows the will of the Father and the Father is searching our heart and so the Spirit is then praying and if we could see things in the spiritual realm, what, a, what an amazing vision, right? So do we not pray? I think that would, is one of the questions I asked. If the Spirit's praying, if Jesus praying, I mean, they seem to have it all going on, I'm done, right? But no, we pray with him. We pray with the Spirit. We pray aware of the Spirit and Christ praying for us. Actually, verse 28, this was helpful for me, back to some Greek. Verse 28 is that famous verse. You've got it on your wall. It's on a pillow. It says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Well, in the Greek, a more literal wording would be, in all things, God works together with us for good. When you read the New Testament, the invitation is always the invitation to do life with God, to be on mission with God. Certainly, God would be more efficient without us. But see, this is the nature of God. Because for all eternity, theologians will talk about entering the dance of the Trinity. There is no beginning. We have no beginning of when God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit started dancing together, if you will. They've just always been doing it. And the picture that we have in 
Romans 8 is they've always been in prayer together for all eternity. And what we're being invited into is to pray with them. Because what is prayer? Prayer is a conversation. And the Father's been talking to the Son, and the Son's been talking to the Spirit, and the Spirit's been talking to the Father, and the fa- all, all around. And now they're just saying, when you became a Christian, you stepped in to that ongoing, eternal conversation. God, certainly He is all-powerful. Certainly He does not need us but he wants us. That's the power of the good news of the gospel, is you have a God, and this was interesting in ancient Near East uh, literature of the time of the Old Testament and stuff, other things that were being written. There were, of course, it was very polytheistic, and there were all of these gods, and they were gods who needed creatures to do their work. They were gods who needed the creatures to work hard and make things happen. And here's this gospel, this good news. We don't have a God who needs us. We have a God who wants us. And he wants to do life with us. And for us to do life with him and in him, by him, all who are led by the Spirit, all who are in the Spirit. Remember Jesus says in the Gospel of John, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. And then later he says, you know, you know it's this way. I am in him and he is in me and you are in us. And this is the Christian life. I think that's what, Paul, what John, uh, is, Jesus is trying to describe in John 15 when he gives us that picture of the branches and the vine and the gardener. And he's just trying to give a physical picture of this is the relationship We're in one another. You're in me. And to accomplish this intimacy, this nearness, this withness, God did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. The son who died more than that was raised. He is at the right hand of the father, and he too is praying. Jesus is praying. Some will say, uh, some of the commentaries I read said that in a sense, this this picture is that Jesus prays for us in the heavens, in the position of power with all authority next to God at the right hand of the Father, and the Spirit is praying in our heart, right? The Lord is searching our heart. He He and the Spirit are communicating that, and the Spirit is praying within us with groanings, I don't know if this, that distinction is necessarily necessary, but here's the, here's the thing. The emphasis is this. The Spirit prays for you. Jesus prays for you and is with you and praying according to the will of the Father. And so we crawl into that relationship We join the eternal conversation. We pray differently because we understand our God to be a trinity. Right. I think it's why Paul said this. He said, pray without ceasing. Join the ongoing eternal conversation. Always be praying. 
Always be aware that the Spirit is praying for you. Always be aware that the Son is praying for you. Share all of your concerns. Share all of your needs. Share all of your hopes. Always, all the time. Three quick observations about prayer that I made, and I'm sure you could make some better ones and more, but three observations as I was studying this passage. The first is this. Pray as a child of God, right? Romans 8, 15, last week's passage. The Holy Spirit brings about our adoption so that we can cry, Abba, Father. Pray as a child with a good daddy. Pray as a child who can say not just the Father, but my Father. That's what the Holy Spirit accomplished in our adoption is that we could cry out, Abba, Daddy. And again, I said this last week, but the language there uh, isn't necessarily Daddy. It's really, it's, it's inviting us that God is ours. I am His. My Daddy, my Father. Pray as a child of God. And then second, Because of the Spirit and the Son, pray with reckless abandon. There is freedom in our prayers. We're always looking for formulas, right? We're looking at the what's the right way to pray. There's books. There's so many books on all the right formulas for prayer, and those can be helpful. Jesus gives a formula. Remember, he gives a formula when his disciples say, hey, how should we pray? He says, pray this way. Pray our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But then it's really interesting because then like we get a whole prayer of Jesus in John 17, and he doesn't pray like that at all, right? He's given them tools. He's given them something to help them with. But we're wanting a formula of how to pray to get the prayer right. Here's the thing. You can pray with reckless abandon because you cannot mess up. The Holy Spirit is praying for you according to the will of the Father. So the Father's going to say no when he needs to say no, just like he said to the Son, When the son stepped into that garden and said, Father, if you could do it a different way, and God the Father said no. You're in good company when God says no to you. He said no to Jesus. Right? Just pray. Just pray. Imagine, picture the reality of the ongoing conversation of the Spirit and the Son and the Father, and you're a part of it, and that is truth. Pray all the time. Pray everywhere. You can't mess it up. The Spirit is praying for you. And so when we're praying, and I, I love that picture of the Spirit and the Father is searching your heart, and the Spirit, so they're, they're all, because prayer isn't just talking, it's listening, right? And, and I, I don't know, I could be off base here, but I've just been trying to practice as I've been studying this. What does it mean for me to listen? What does it mean, I mean, I'm asking, Holy Spirit, what are you praying? <laughs> I mean, he doesn't have to answer, but he could, because he is. Holy Spirit, what are you praying? What is the will of the Father? What do you want me to want? What do you want me to pray? Jesus, what are you praying? 
Would you reveal it to me in the Word, in the Scripture? Would you reveal it to me through your Spirit? The invitation of the Trinity is to join in that divine, eternal, ongoing, always conversation. And then the third observation We pray as children of God, we pray with reckless abandon, and then we pray on mission with God. Right? And now our prayers become an adventure. Now we get unstuck. Now our faith isn't just, check the box. Now, our prayer is exhilarating. We're on mission with God. And I don't just mean like big mission stuff, like God, should I go to Africa, or big out there kind of things. I mean we pray on mission in the midst of the ordinary. In the mid- if, if the church would pray on mission in the midst of the ordinary, we're always looking for the big thing, you know. I want to go see Julie McGowan. I want to I go to big, 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 big. No. We pray things like this, God, what do you want for my marriage today? Not tomorrow, not in the big stratosphere of married life. What would you want for my marriage today, in the ordinary of today? God, what do you want me, who do you want me to divinely interact with today? Is there someone that you're going to put in my path? And I'll tell you this, when you start praying this way, you start seeing differently. When you start saying, God, who do you want me to interact with? Is there somebody? Is it my neighbor? Is it a coworker? Is it a parent at a baseball game? Is it the barista? Is it a stranger that you want to put in my path? Who are you putting around me today, God, that you want me to interact with for your glory, for your love? God, how might I enjoy you as I change one more diaper? right? That's the ordinary. God, how might you want me to enjoy you as I enter one more item on that spreadsheet? Right? Oh, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing today that you want me to join you in? Where do I need you today where I so desperately need you to show up? And as we pray into the ordinary, I think we find ourselves more available to the extraordinary. And suddenly the ordinary becomes extraordinary. Suddenly the ordinary of raising kids, making a meal, going to Trader Joe's, driving in traffic, all these things are transformed into a relationship and an intimacy with God the Father who searches my heart and God the Spirit who is taking that search from the Father and turning them into prayers according to the will of the Father and God the Son who's sitting right at the right hand of the Father and we can't mess up in that conversation. He has us. He has you. And his ultimate mission is to conform me, to conform you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why we do suffering different. 
That's why we do relationships different. That's what we face adversity and circumstances that we wish would be changed. And in those midst of those things, we say to God, how are you conforming me to the image of your son in the midst of this? How are you using this, God? Because I know you miss nothing. You are always praying. You are always with me. What are you doing that's conforming me into the likeness of Jesus? What are you inviting me to? And maybe he's inviting you to move across the country or the world, or maybe he's just inviting you to walk across the street, right? Who knows? But it all gets changed when we enter into the Trinity, when we enter into a God who is praying for us and with us. The Trinitarian prayer for the Christian is two things, and I'll end on this. It is a life of privilege, we pray as children of God, spoiled children of God, because we get to pray our Father. We get to crawl into the lap of the one who knows us and searches our heart. And the life of Trinitarian prayer for the Christian is not just privilege, it is expressed neediness, because we're always, always needy. We are weak, but he is strong, and we get to pray not just our Father, we get to pray our Father, help. Help me. Help me. Right. Oh, Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for these friends of mine. Would we live differently? Would we pray differently? Would our prayer life not just be a grocery list, but would our prayer life be an invitation into a relationship and intimacy with you, a conversation with you that's ongoing? You're talking to each other all the time, and I'm excited to just jump into that. Would your scripture come alive to us? Would it guard the truth in our heart? Would your spirit convict us, instruct us, and guide us when we're getting off the rails? Would the Son, oh, Father, would the Son pray with authority in the places that we want to take back ground, in the idols that we want to crush, in the things that we want to get rid of, the, the sin that we want to step out of, in the freedom that you want us to walk in? Ah, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being so near to us that we can call you our Father. And we do so because we have been given access to you through the Son and we have been raised through the Spirit to have life in you. And we pray it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.